don't deal with jails. Don't deal with jails, and I don't deal with police. My house got robbed in New York. I didn't even call the police. I wanted to, but I couldn't. My crib is too nice. It's not that it's too nice, but it's too nice for me. You know how the police are in New York. As soon as I open the door, they'll be like, ooh, he's still here. Open and shut case, Johnson. Apparently, this black guy broke in and hung up pictures of his family everywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Hoosier Sophisticate here on 920 AM, WGNU 920AM.com, 314-880-0808. That's good. Um, We're joined by an amazing guest. Um, We got Mr. Ferranti in here, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his his story, his tale. He's a writer. Um, He's got a movie documentary coming out, and uh, I want to hear some stuff. can you tell us in a nutshell, what is this white boy Rick we've been hearing so much about? Um, white boy Rick was, uh, um, he's a guy from Detroit, you know, and he, he was living down. He was a white kid. His family lived down in the inner city of Detroit, you know, like during the crack era. And um, his dad was actually uh, like an FBI drug task force, you know, informant. Because he used to go to gun shows and he would buy guns and silencers and stuff like that. And then he would sell it, you know, to like the gangsters, you know, and guys down in, in the hood. Oh, yeah. But then what he would do, he was double dipping. At the same time, he would sell the information to like the FBI and the local drug task force, you know, and, and they would come in and bust the people. So he was getting paid once by them and then he was getting paid once by the cops. So he was doing this. But when the, when the crack era started... You know, and there were all these, you know, a lot of people made a lot of money real quick, and these big drug organizations just kind of sprang up overnight, you know, with the advent of crack. And, um, you know, the, the, the feds, the FBI, and the local drug task force, they, they wanted to know. They, they were, like, asking all their informants, you know, like, who, who, who are the guys running this? What are the organizations? You know, we need to get information. So they went to the dad. But, you know, the dad was like, I'm not out on the street. I don't really know these guys. But his son, who was 14, Richard Worshey, was right there. And he knew some of the names that they were asking about because he was outside every day, you know, like in the streets, riding bikes, you know, like what 13, 14, 15 yeah, year old in the kids do. Totally. Yeah, you know, playing basketball and stuff like Heck that. Yeah. So, you know, he knew everything. So he started telling them everything. And what, the, what they did is um, they like made him into a drug dealer. So they started getting him drugs to sell and money to do buys. The feeds are doing this? Yeah, They're- the FBI and the Detroit Police Department. And he's Department. 14. Yeah. <laughs> and then all the information. That they were getting from him, they were filing under the dad's informant number. So, I mean, they were just doing really, you know, highly questionable. So, so there was uh, nothing on the books stuff. that would show this kid was was hired by them. He was like he was a black op, basically. Yeah, and then um, and then they they had a case against this guy named Johnny Curry, the Curry, Curry organization, which was a big East Side. You know, drug ring that that Rick had actually Rick was like Johnny Curry was almost like a mentor to him. He was like under, you know, Johnny Curry yeah. working for him, but he was giving information to the cops at the same oh, time. Geez. So then, when they busted the Curry organization, you know, and they started getting ready to go to trial, you know, the defense, you know, the defense lawyers were like, you know, where's all this information coming from? You know, yeah. who is this confidential informant? You know, they were trying to figure out, you know, who it yeah. was, and. Uh, 
you know, as soon as the cops, they felt the heat, they didn't want to expose or let the right people know or the wrong people yeah. know that they had an underage informant. I mean, because that's illegal. So, you know, they kind of just kicked him to the curb, you know, and he, you know, he they had made him into a drug dealer. So it was like he just kept doing. Yeah. You know, yeah. plus the, his boss, the guy that he worked for, Johnny Curry, was gone. So, I mean, the, the kid was really cra- I mean, he was only like 16, 17. He actually, Johnny Curry got locked up. He started sleeping with Johnny Curry's wife. Who was the dot or the niece of Mayor Coleman Young? So Ooh. once, yeah. So once he did that, he like, I mean, there, you know, there's always been, uh, you know, a lot of uh, the feds have always investigated, you know, like Mayor Coleman Young and his regime. I mean, he never got busted for anything, but they were always trying to pin something on yeah. him, like he was corrupt. Or was this, this around the time like Mary and Barry in DC? Yeah, 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 same thing. Like late, you know, mid to late eighties. Hey, oh yeah. And, uh, that's when they knew how to party, mayors. Yeah. <laughs> so, Seth, before we get too far ahead, can you uh, you have a uh, maybe a different perspective on this whole story and how you came about this information? Um, tell us a little bit about your background, um, uh, you know where you're from, and uh, how, how you came to know this, and, and how you came to be where you're at right now. All right, well, I'm I'm basically grew up in California, but I, I was a military brat, so I lived overseas, you know, here and there. And then uh, when when my dad retired, we actually moved to Northern Virginia. And he got a job as a defense contractor. So um, I moved to Northern Virginia. I was probably like, I don't know, probably uh, 15, 16. And, uh, you know, we're going around like kids. We're, we're trying to party. You know, we're trying to get weed. We're trying to get acid. And, I mean, it's just dry. I mean, this was, a, you know, late, like, 87, 88, too. But, I mean, you just couldn't find anything. Or what we could find, it was, like, garbage weed or, yeah. you know, acid, like, 20 cents a hit. It was, like, ridiculous. So. It's like dollar menu, man. <laughs> so it, it, it was like like being the new kid. You know, I was like, oh man, I got I got I got you know relatives in California. They can send me whatever. You know, oh, I can get man. like good weed, and so that's how it kind of started. You know, You're just a guy. little bit. Yeah, and then um, how old were you at the time again? I, I was like 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, you know it tra- it it kept. You know, getting bigger as everybody graduated. I went to a big high school, like 4,000 people, and I was selling to everybody there. But then as everybody started going to colleges, I kept selling to them. They just got bigger amounts. For sure. You know, as I became a bigger drug dealer, you know, they became bigger drug dealers. Yeah, and uh, I mean, by the time I was uh, 19, 20 years old, I I was supplying like 15 colleges in five states on the East Coast with uh, LSD and marijuana. Wow. My, oh, my. So uh, I assume that that story came to a, a screeching halt at, uh, oh, yeah, at some yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, uh, around at, um, in 1991, I caught a case. I got indicted for LSD conspiracy. And um, now I was 20 years old. I had a little money. I, I wasn't didn't have, like, Pablo Escobar money or anything like that. But, you know, I had a little money. So I was kind of like, well... You know, they brought the case against me, and they were talking like 10 to life. I'm like, man, I'm not going to jail. And then, you know, the other thing, like, they wanted me to, like, cooperate and snitch on everybody. I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. If that's my two choices, you know, snitch or go to jail, I took off. You know, I was a fugitive. How'd they catch you? Or the first time? Like, how'd you get the charges the first time? Oh, it was actually, um, my my whole case sprung from, uh, there was a, they had this big field party out in Clifton. That's like the area in Northern Virginia, Fairfax County, where, um, like a lot of politicians and, you know, Washington Redskins play, players. Okay. Like back then, it yeah. was like million-dollar houses back then, so I don't even know what it is, you know, now. But uh, there was this big field party, and uh, the cops got called to the field party, and there, there was this kid who was tripping on acid, and he was running through the woods, 
naked or something, and the cops, you know, went and apprehended him and tackled him, and he took the cop's gun out of the holster, and he shot the cop in the arm. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, and it was like a little 15-year-old kid. And so then they started investigating that, and, uh, you know, they said it was, it was like an LSD witch hunt. They were just trying to bust yeah. everything for, you know, they called in the DEA, and, you know, they say, like, that came from my organization. Even though it was, like, seven people removed, they blamed me for that. Oh. So that's how that happened in like June of ninety one, and then uh, I was indicted by uh, September ninety one. Jeez. And, so um, you went on the run, and then uh, you end up kind of, I guess, close to close to home here around the St. Louis area, right? Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I faked my suicide. Okay. In the uh, oh, how'd you do in, that? In Great Falls. I, you know, Great Falls is like a, it's like Class Five Rapids, and it's like. You know, all types of rock. So it's like only like, you know, superstar kayakers yeah. there and stuff like that. But I, I remember when I moved there, you would always see like in the metro section of the Washington Post, people would jump in the water to commit suicide. So, you know, I, I staged my suicide and I wrote like a, a little, you know, suicide note and made like a little scene. And then I went and I, I went to California, you know, and I actually I blew a lot of money in California because I had a little bit of money, but I blew a lot of money in California over six months. So then I went back to Texas and hooked up with a Mexican guy that I was getting weed from before. And I met a guy from St. Louis that was working in a restaurant down there in the Dallas, Texas area. And he was coming back to St. Louis one time. And I was like, you know anybody that will buy some weed? And he was like, yeah. So that's like my whole St. Louis connection. Oh, so man. I, yeah, I started coming up here. I started bringing loads of weed. You know, not not big loads. I would bring like 25, 50 pounds. You know, yeah, not big. Not big. You know, and I, I was selling stuff around here, and then, you know, I had a couple guys like up in Columbia, like University of Missouri. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and uh, eventually when, when I got caught, it was just like a, a you know, it was like a, a – like a like, not like a traffic stop, but I think we were smoking a joint or something like in the oh, back of no. back parking lot of the restaurant, and the restaurant had got robbed like a week before, so they thought we were casing the yep. restaurant, and they called the cops, and I didn't have any weed on me, but the guy I was with, he had like a half pound of weed in the truck, and he was actually, you know, he worked for me, he sold stuff for me, so they arrested us, and uh, they released me, but then three days later, they matched up my prints, because at the time, I didn't know, but I was a, a top 15 U.S. Marshals uh, fugitive. Yeah. For whatever reason, I mean, I was like a first-time non-violent offender. Yeah, that's they, a like, big deal. And they made me like I'm a, uh, you know, like I'm Jeffrey Dahmer or something. Yeah. I so, it sounds like, just from watching the, the trailer of this uh, documentary, White Boy, um, and and hearing your story, there's a lot of uh, parallel, a lot of uh, synchronicities, maybe a little bit. Yeah, there. that's why. I mean, that's why I'm. I always tell people. I started hearing about Rick. You know, I got I got 25 years when I was 22 for LSD conspiracy. So I, I went to jail in uh, like October 1993, and um, the first spot I was in SCI Manchester in Kentucky. You know, I kind of got used to it, cut my teeth my first two, first two or three years. It was, it was just a medium high, so it wasn't like it was a max or anything, like I was in the most violent spots. But, I mean, dudes were rocking. You know, it could get pretty violent oh, at yeah. times. But uh, the, the second spot I went to was SCI Beckley in West Virginia in 96. And there I encountered, there was a lot of Detroit guys, you know, because of the, the proximity and the way they do, you know, the different regions for the, the Bureau of Prisons, the federal prisons. So I started hearing about this guy, White Boy Rick. And that's what the first thing I, I immediately identified it with him because here was like another young white kid, 
you know, the, and he got a life sentence. He got a life sentence when he was 17, you know. When, when they finally cut him loose, he, he sold drugs for maybe about eight or nine months. And he wasn't, a, you know, a super big dealer or anything, not like he was Cali Cartel or anything like that. But, you know, he was doing weight. You know, he was getting 10, 15 kilos at a time. He was selling kilos. He was like what you call a weight dealer or whatever. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so he got busted with eight kilos, and, and he got a life sentence when he was 17. Oh, my God. God. Now, you reached out to White Boy Rick while you were uh, serving time, and, uh, like, what did you ask him initially, and uh, what did he tell you, and how did it differ from the stories you had heard? Well, you know, um, I reached out to him in 2005. You know, I, I started writing books. I started writing articles for, like, Don Devin Feds magazine. Like, they're, like, the big gangster magazines, you know, that a lot of, like, uh, you know, hip people in hip-hop culture and stuff know. But, uh, and they're huge in the prisons. But I started writing about, I was locked up with different gangsters. And I wanted to, I wanted to cover Rick's story. You know, I'd heard about him. So I finally reached out to him, like, 2005 when we started uh, writing back and forth. And... For me, it was weird because I was going, you know, I was writing about gangsters. You know, I mean, I was in prison. I was really writing for my peers. You know, I wasn't writing for the street. You know, I, I was writing about, you know, because I was with, like, Italian mafia dudes. I was, like, Colombian cocaine cartel dudes. And, you know, all those dudes, there were books about that, guys. But yeah. a lot of the African-American gangsters, you know, that gangster rap was really big in this time, mid-'90s. Oh, yeah. You just heard their names, and everybody was talking about them. And, you know, I'm on these compounds, and there's these myth and legends. So that's why I decided to write about them. But... It was the same thing like Rick. I wanted to write about him, so I, I reached out to him. But he was telling me, like, this totally different story. You know, I, I wanted to write, like, this gangster. You know, that's why I, like, romanticize and, and yeah. glorify, like, the gangster lifestyle. Try to make, like, a cautionary tale, though. But still, you know, I try to go with the myth and the legends and stuff like that. And I wanted to do that with Rick. But Rick was telling me, like, this totally different thing. He was like, oh, I'm an informant. You know, I cooperated with police. You know, they set me up. They, they buried me. You know, the police are corrupt. And... You know, at that stage, I, I was like, you know, this is not what I write about. I mean, I don't write about, like, corruption. Yeah. You know, so it kind of threw me off. But, you know, I stayed friends with him, you know, and over the years. And finally, uh, in 2013, when I was still in, I, I actually wrote a piece. You know, because I, I didn't believe him at first. I mean, I'm going to be honest. A lot of people in prison, like, they say, oh, they're innocent. They didn't do their... Yeah. You know, you just hear it all the time in Everybody's prison. Everybody's got a story, right? Yeah, but... You know, I didn't I didn't believe it until he hooked me up with this FBI agent named Greg Swartz who had retired, who was actually his handler, right? So, you know, come to find out, you know, when I, I started, you know, during the making of this documentary, like we investigated, like all the old news reports from the late 80s and newspaper articles and stuff like that. You know, Rick has been saying the same story the whole time. Just nobody believed him. Yeah. You know, and then after, you know, 25 years when these FBI agents retired, you know, a couple of them came out and they corroborated his story. So that that was just like, you know, maybe like two. I wrote the first article like around 2013, you know, that kind of, you know, outed him as a child informant. Oh, my God. Oh you know, with the corroboration of this these FBI agents. You know, so like in journalism, that make it valid. I mean, you got juice because uh, yeah. law enforcement yeah. is now you're getting it from both sides of the of the aisle, you know. Wow. That's insane. Now, did anyone uh, in the feds get in trouble uh, for making this underage kid an informant? Like, No, did- not not at all. I mean, even – I mean, some, some of his handlers, we got them in the documentary talking about it. I mean, they're, they're retired now. So, I mean, you know, it's not like it's murder or anything. So, I mean, it's a statute of limitations, you know. But it, it was a story like – I mean, the Detroit police, and they, they, they wanted to bury, you know, the administration. For sure. You know, they, they were trying to bury him because they didn't want this. It's like a, a, a drug war dirty secret. You know, there, there's a ton of them. 
you know, but th- this yeah. is just one that has, you know, captivated, you know, the, the public's, you know, attention. And that first article I wrote for The Fix, like in 2013, when I was still in, like, it, it went totally viral. Like, it went viral. And I didn't even know what viral meant. You know, I, I'd never seen the Internet. And, you know, I had people telling me outside, you know, like, because, you know, I went in in 93. Yeah, yeah so totally. Like, you know, Windows 95, you missed all. Yeah. Jesus, was, what was it like? Just just to kind of segue for or, or to, to go off on a tangent for a second. What was that like? Because... The world changed significantly like, in 1995 when the personal computer became like in every household. It's like when Austin Powers comes in the future and he's like <laughs> playing with the pump shoes or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, was, I mean, you know what I did? Um, you know, I watched TV and, and I read a lot. So, you know, I knew about all this stuff. But uh, like two years before I got out. I got um like I got on two thousand August two thousand fourteen so probably yeah. like around two thousand twelve I had my wife order me a whole bunch of like the idiot guide books like to yes. the internet you <laughs> yes. know, to Mac to iPhones and I had like twenty of these books you know all about the technology even like you know Premiere Pro because I-, I wanted to learn like some of the Adobe yeah, stuff for sure yeah, yeah and, and Final Cut you know because that's what I'd already had in mind then that I wanted to make films and do stuff like that so I, I mean I read a lot of these books like five six times. And, uh, you know, just to, so I would have a basis. But, you know, the, the biggest thing that's really funny that I couldn't get my head around, and even the first six or nine months, I really, like, Wi-Fi and cellular. I was, that concept was just like, what is the difference? They both do the same thing. You know, and I, I remember in prison, I was reading it, you know, Wi-Fi. I, mean, I would ask guys in there, like, guys that only been in for a couple years. I'm like, what's the difference? But a lot of them, they don't know. They're like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You know? But, then, but then when I got out, and I started doing film stuff, and I started doing, like, my comics, like, with the artwork, you know, and images and stuff. And then, you know, I learned about, you know, the file size and, and bandwidth. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. if you want to download something with a big file, you need cellular, you know, because, you know, one's wide and one's, you know, the bandwidth. Hey, I'm so, learning new things right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually looking at, the, at what would appear to be what your, oh, your first books. issue. This looks oh. amazing. Confessions of a College Kingpin. Uh, got a couple books in front of it. And then The Supreme Team, The Birth of Crack. And hip hop, Prince's Reign of Terror, and the Supreme Fifty Cent Beef Exposed. I got uh, I got pictures of up on our uh, awesome. Go check out Hoosier Sophisticate page. We got those posted on there. Seth, you mentioned something that uh, kind of went by real quick. That uh, you had your wife buy you some books. Were you married before you went in? Did you get married while you were in? I got married while I was in, but my, my wife is actually she's like St. Louis born and bred. When I was a fugitive from that's nine, a ride or die, die chick, right there. That's, that's why we stay where Louis. we're at. Absolutely. <laughs> Look, so so I, I met her, you know, when I started bringing drugs up here, like probably around 92, and then probably like um, sometime in the beginning of 93, I met her. She's, she's like a St. Peter's girl, so I met her. We started dating, and she was just my girlfriend. And then, you know, when I, when I really fell in love with her was, uh, you know, the U.S. Marshals, when I got arrested again, and they matched up my prints, you know, and, and but I got, I got out again, you know, because... The other dude took the half pound when we got busted. But, uh, you know, the, the U.S. Marshals went right to her, you know, because that guy, like, he told him everything, you yeah. know, who I messed with, who my, my girlfriend was, or oh, people geez. I sold drugs to. So they had everybody's name, the U.S. Marshals, and they were going around. And they actually went to her, and she, like, wouldn't tell him anything. She wouldn't tell him where I was. She wouldn't give him any information. Oh, you I know, love I, her. Yeah, I mean, I found this all, all later. But, you know, it, it, it's just like. A lot of my friends, a lot of the dudes I surrounded myself with, you know, even from an early age, like one of my case in Virginia, I mean, pretty much all of them snitched on me. And then, you know, I got this one, you know, Missouri girl. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, so, uh, and then she rode with me. We got married, like, um, 
2006. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that. We'll edit that. Yeah, we'll figure it out and we'll edit it out. <laughs> yeah, we got, so we got married uh, in prison. In the uh, I was in SCI Gilmer, and we got married in the in the prison visiting room because like a chaplain or just somebody. No, come just in? right. Yeah, we had to pay a chaplain. A judge. Chaplain. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it was like the they had a guard there and like a you know like an administrative prison person. We got married, so you know we've been married since then. And you know I came home and I, I've been out now four years. You know them with her. That's yeah, great, man. Dude, on, in this area. Right on. Well, I'm glad that you're in the area. That's for that's for darn sure. Now it's kind of crazy too because we just had Shane Mouse on here and he's doing uh, psychedelics research and we're big in the psychedelics realm and you know they've done phase two, phase three trials with LSD, psilocybin, MDMA. MDMA. So they're starting to figure out that this stuff is a lot of medicine. Does it not seem like a colossal waste of money and time to put this gentleman here on the? A most wanted list? Like, think about all the tax dollars that went to trying to find you, and it's like you're giving LSD to college kids, man. Not to mention the 21 years. Yeah, that's <laughs> insane. Now, looking at seeing how everything's kind of, uh, you know, legalizing or getting, you know, more open, you kind of look back and be like, what the heck, man? Or have you always kind of had that? No, no. I, it's, I mean, when I was doing what I was doing back then, I, I was kind of like... Uh, you know, I, I kind of saw myself as, as like a counterculture outlaw. You know, like yeah, I felt sure. outlaw. I yep. felt I, I was. You know, I wasn't a criminal. I, I never carried a gun. You know, I never shot. I never really beat anybody up. You know, I'm not, I'm not a violent person. But I I, I saw myself as kind of supplying. You know, what people wanted it. And and like I say, I sold marijuana and I sold LSD. Yeah. So it was like you know I I thought both of them should be legal back then. So it's really weird. You know, because I went through that whole thing in prison. Like in prison, you got to play the game and. They want to say You've you been know you're, you're a drug addict, and oh, you know God. that's why I did what I did, or I did crime because I was a drug addict. But you know now, the longer I've been out, I'm like you know I mean I, I smoke weed now, so I'll, you know once I got off probation, so I'm like I, you know I'm not a drug addict. I, when I drink, I might drink like two or three beers. I like yep. to smoke a joint every now and then. I mean I haven't done LSD since I've been out, but I, you know I never say never. But, <laughs> you know, but well, I, here you go, fella. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's crazy, man. It's crazy to me to think that you know. We're locking people in cages because we had Jeff Mazansky. He's a gentleman from Missouri who he, he did 24 he did years, 24 years for, for three times for th- getting caught with cannabis. For the third time, he had three and a half. He didn't, he didn't even have an, an eighth of Oh, that's the guy that was Jeff City, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Sedalia, yeah, yeah. Okay. real close, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was on our show, uh, on our older show last year and came in and shared his story. And it's three it's strike insane. rules, draconian laws that are insane that are still on the books. Um, so, you know, for you... Why are stories like this important? If someone asked why you know they should watch this documentary, what would you tell them? You know, I just think now, especially the last couple of years, it seems like you know we, in our country we've always you know professed like we're America the Great. You know, like we look down on other countries because our democracy we're better than them. When at the same time, you know, through everything, I mean, it's all coming out. We're doing, you know, we've done the same thing. You know, like like South Africa, it's systematic oppression. You know, of, of minorities, you know, or people, if you're not a certain economic level, you know, if you're, you're below a certain, you know, poverty line or whatever, it doesn't matter what color, you know, but mostly, you know, it's been, you know, African-Americans, you know, immigrants and, you know, poor Caucasian people. And the way the government, you know, it's, just, it's like 
if you don't make a certain amount of money or you're not above a certain economic line, they just feel like they can ground you into the dirt. For sure. There was a time in my life that getting a speeding ticket just almost ruined I'm me. I'm still, I'm still uh, you know, pretty what, much it, there. I, I got I to, uh, you know, it takes me, uh, you know, the ticket, whatever, is 110 bucks. It cost me another 150 to hire a lawyer to fix it because I can't afford my insurance to hey, At least up. you ain't doing 21 I years got, in a crybaby. No, my point is, is that... <laughs> I, you can see, like, if, if that doesn't resonate with you, if you've ever been that person where the last thing in the world you need is to is two hundred bucks to go because you went four and miles you're not an hour crazy. over, the, yeah, you're not, you know, crazy and, and, and but you see now all of a sudden, oh, that kid that was down the street corner, he had a joint on him, he caught a case, oh. now he's now he's now he's got a record. Well, that's like now nobody will hire him. Yeah, he can't be hired. Him. He can't work anywhere. Now all of a sudden he's going to turn to a life of crime because it's the only way he can feed his his family. You know he's going to start well, hustling on the street. If he's young enough, the FBI can turn him into an informant. Yeah, and get paid that way. <laughs> if no he's doubt. young enough, it's just, you know it's just frustrating, man. So I mean, yeah, I didn't mean to. No, I, I just think the. Um I mean, like like white boy, what it does. I mean, it, it's it's just one case, but it's a case that had just generated a lot of uh, you know interest. And I I even say it in the film. I say, you know, like the the cops, law enforcement, they always make a big deal of like the extent drug dealers will go to to make money. You know, be it murder or be it whatever it is. But at the same time, you know that, that on the other side, that the cops do the same thing. Like the extent they'll go to 100%. to make a bust. It's it's not about justice. You know, because think about our political system. Successful prosecutors become you know governors, mayors, judges. You know, so that's the only way they advance. You know, like I. I I, I like I like capitalism. You know, when I came out, I was like, okay, plug me back into the matrix, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of advantages to capitalism. But, you know, really recently, like the last couple of years, you know, it's like the dark underbelly of capitalism has finally been exposed. And and I'm like, I'm American. I, I, lo- I love my country. You know, I love, love my people. You know, if we're American, if we're supposed to be, you know, this progressive society... Okay, let, let's write the past wrongs, man. Let's, yep. You know, everybody's equal. I mean, you and I, and I remember, too, in the 80s, they used to say, like, 10% of the people had all the money. Yeah. In right. the 80s. It's even but worse now. It's, now. Like, it's like 1%. Yeah, it's even so worse it's like, now. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's like these people are up here, you know, living however they want to live, you know, like on moons or stars or whatever, and, you know, all of us are just trapped down here. So I, I think, you know, it's time to change, man. So that's why I did White Boy. I mean, I wanted to get Rick out. Yeah, you know, because he was doing this ungodly, you know, life sentence for being a, a nonviolent offender for eight kilos of cocaine. But also, you know, I want to show people this is what our government has done. I mean, it's it's been shown again and again and again. So you know, it'll it'll be better for the future for our all people. You know, and you and you said awesome. something there where you know, look at the lengths that drug dealers will go to 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 make a sale. How about you take a one step further back, get a little more perspective, and say, oh, look at the fact that there is this burgeoning market that these guys are participating in where people are going to buy this regardless and we're going to criminalize the activity rather than regulate it and then we're going to say people are crazy for providing it when there's clearly people out there that are looking to do it (laughs) so you know like that is that is insane to me that's why you know i go very extreme and i'm I'm at least for some kind of decriminalization at a federal level and you can let states decide that's fine you know um uh, it, 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 I do hate that capitalism gets the bad rep because what it is is it's cronyism. Mm-hmm. The government is so intertwined in, in, our, in our lives in picking winners and losers, and there's this immense gap in between these huge multi-billion dollar companies and mom and pop's coffee shop down, oh, the, down yeah. the street. Well, yeah, they, they can't compete 
because the bigger companies are like, yeah, hey, regulate us, tax the piss out of us. You know, we've got all kinds of, you know, they can, we can afford, we got lawyers that write these laws anyway. And who ends up suffering? The dude on the street. And then, and then, and then they blame it back on, you know, the market. It's not the market. It's the, it's the centrally planned market of these monsters <laughs> in, in DC. It drives me crazy. Yeah, just kind of piggyback off what you Bye said there, up. Craig. Uh, People say all the time, like, oh, they buy the corporations buy these politicians. Well, you can't buy something if it's not for sale. Right. They have to they have to put themselves up for sale. But Seth, uh, I know you're a busy guy. You got some stuff going on. We talked a lot about White Boy Rick. Uh, I watched a lot of it today. Awesome documentary. Uh, what what's uh, going on uh, in the future? What do you got in store? What are you working on? Um, I'm actually I, I'm in post production of this um, documentary called Nightlife. It's actually, you know, on, on White Boy, I just wrote and produced. Sean Reck is actually the filmmaker. He made a murder in the park. It's on, on Netflix now. Another one about uh, overturning a wrongful conviction. So, murder in the park? Yep. Yeah, murder in the park. That's Sean Reck. That's my partner. But this night, he kind of taught me how to do it over White Boy. You know how to direct. So now, Nightlife, I've been directing it. And uh, it's, about, it's about this reverend named uh, Ken McCoy, who he has this group called Nightlife. And they go out in North City from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. in the morning on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. And um, it's, it's like a violence prevention outreach. But, you know, they take out water. You know, they take out food. They take out blankets or clothes, you know, for, like, the homeless people or the addicts. Wow. Yeah, like if, if a drug addict, you know, if they want some help, they try to get them placed, you know, in a rehab. And, and they, they talk to, like, the young gang members. He goes out, he talks to the young gang members, and he tries to mediate with them. You know, this is in North St. Louis? Yeah, he tries to solve. Wow. You know, because his whole thing is... He's like, I, I love my people. He's like, I don't want young black men killing young black men. So he's going out there, you know, trying to talk to him, trying to mediate, yeah. you know, so they, they, they don't kill each other. You know, and he's been doing this for three years. So he's this like a huge. That's yeah. a huge. When does that we're, come out? Or what? Well, we're in post production right now, but uh, you know, I should. I'd I should love have to get you both in studio yeah, to I, talk about that a little that's bit. That's huge. Because I'm a South Sider. And I know that you're kind of a transplant here. Steve's the South Side. Yeah. We talk about this all the time. There, it's a tale of two St. Louises, and actually, it gets more and more splintered. But like, I, I didn't even know the world. I thought like you just fell off the edge of the world after Del Mar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's yeah, just crazy, that's just yeah. how we're raised, man. It's really weird. I was up on I was up on Midland today, and I'm like. <laughs> where am I? Where like I could be driving I in 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 Turkey, and it would I, 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 would, I wouldn't be you know I would be just as lost, and it's crazy, man. I mean, and so like that's something that that I know is passionate for for that we're both passionate about um, is, is you know getting more involved, trying to bring sure. that South North divide. It's been going on for generations. Yeah. I mean, that's it's, what we're it's doing. bred into us. So if you if you guys ever you know want to come in and talk about oh, no, that, we would yeah, love definitely. to promote that project and talk with him and and how we can. We always talk about the way to change the world is to start at home change our community and work out you know in concentric circles so uh we'd love to be a part of that man um we got a little bit of time left tell us a little bit about gorilla convict gorilla convict is uh, the website in the publishing house um i started when i was in prison you know i i came up with the idea and i wrote like a lot of the material the articles and, and books that we publish but uh my wife, my wife did it all. She facilitated everything, you know, on the outside. I, I just, you know, drew up the plans yeah. and, and wrote the books. But I, I put up a website in 2005, Gorilla Convict, and um, I mean, I got I got interviews with like you know prison gang leaders, like all types of different gangsters. You know, I, I write stuff like about different prison life, you know, street life. You know, it's just tons of material. I, I was putting yeah. stuff up like you know every month, sometimes a couple times a month, ever since 2005, and we started publishing my books. 
which I got 22 books out now. Damn. You know, which uh, my first book was Prison Stories, which was kind of autobiographical. But then everything else was, you know, all I wrote that as fiction, you know, because of circumstances. But then yeah. everything else was, it's all nonfiction, all stuff about, um, like I call them like like you know hip hop gangsters. Yeah. You know, like, like they came up in the hip hop age. You know, and I think a lot of times uh, in the African American community, crack was almost kind of like prohibition was. You know, for the Jews and the Italians and the Irish in the twenties. You know, because a lot of people a lot of made a lot of money, but you know, just like back in the twenties, you know, it, it caused a lot of degradation and, and sure. stuff. You know, in the communities too. But you know, still, I, I try to humanize these guys because sometimes the, the picture that the government paints. Yeah, you know it's 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 not always true. I mean, sometimes it's true. I mean, what? I've been in prison. There are, I mean, there's psychopaths in prison. Everything's like black and white, and I, I don't mean race. There's I mean, one like, in this room yeah. too. Like I mean, you know, you don't step over this line. You know, yeah, yeah. If you step over that line, you know, you're just gonna, you know, they're Jesus. they're gonna kill you or whatever because they're psychopaths. But there's a lot of good people in prison that don't deserve yeah. to be in prison. You know, they were just, you know, drug dealers making money. Maybe they did some violent stuff, but it's because they yeah. were, you know, I would invite these people over to my house because they just did what they had to do when they For were sure. put in certain situations because of the environment that they grew up in and they were in. But that doesn't mean they're bad people. It's a lot of gray area. They're surviving, man. A lot of those people are trying to survive. Yeah. So I, I just think that's a lot of things. You know. So I try to humanize these guys, and I try to paint the picture, you know, from their point of view instead of from the, the cops' view. Because everything in the mainstream news is just like verbatim, whatever the prosecutors, whatever the cops say. And, I mean, I know this firsthand because it happened to me. Yep. Right on. Seth, we're up against a break, man. I I could talk to you for hours, man. Yeah, and anytime awesome. you want to come on this show and share stories with us, we're happy to, uh, to promote your projects. One last time before we go to break, how can our fans find your material? Where can they watch the White Boy uh, documentary? And, uh, you know, how can we help you out? All right, White Boy, it's on, um, it's on it's iTunes exclusive right now. Okay. It came out last Tuesday. And then uh, next week, Tuesday, it'll be everywhere, you know, VOD. So it'll be like on Google Play and all Perfect. the other platforms. And then eventually it's going to end up probably around next December. It's going to be on a streaming network. Cool. And, um, yeah, and then, like, I got SethFerrante.com. That's S-E-T-H-F-E-R-R-A-N-T-I.com. GorillaConvict.com. You know, and all, all my stuff, my stuff's all on Amazon's, iTunes. You can find audio, you know, digital or print. You know, I got the comic books, which are on Comicology. I got, I got a Supreme Team comic book. I got Confessions of the College Kingpin, which all are, are all going to eventually be graphic novels. And um, The graphic novels are sweet. We got one in here. This art is off the chain, man. So it is awesome. Seth, we can't thank you enough, buddy. Yeah, thank, thank you for you coming so on. No, I appreciate, and, uh, I appreciate all, you all for having me and inviting me down. You got it, this man. This was actually your audition to replace Steven as co-host. Thank you. <laughs> and it wasn't You got that three hard. more people you did. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, who's sophistic- Hoosier Sophisticated is going to come up after the break. So stick around. Former chief FBI negotiator Gary Nesner. We did get 35 people out, including 21 children, but the ill-timed and uh, often inappropriate tactical initiatives were a real obstacle to, to achieving the ultimate success we wanted. I came back a day or two before the tear gas insertion on April 19th of 93 and was told by my boss that uh, I was either going to be sent back to Waco or that they were going to be putting in tear gas. And the next day he called me up and said, don't come into work, just go to FBI headquarters to the command post, they're going to put in tear gas. Who's your sophisticate? Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. on WGNU. Hi, I'm Jay Ashcroft. Here at the Secretary of State's office, we take the integrity of our elections seriously. Missourians agreed and passed Constitutional Amendment 6. Missouri's new photo ID law is now in effect. Have questions about the new voter ID law or need to register to vote? We're here to help. 
Visit showittovote.com or call 866-868-3245. Remember, if you're registered to vote, you can vote. Sponsored by the Missouri Secretary of State's Office. Hey there, sophisticated Hoosiers. Have you been to our website? Visit HoosierSophisticate.com and listen to our uncensored podcast. Share some laughs with us. Send us fan mail so we can feel warm and special. Buy our merchandise so that we can eat. Wear your Hoosier Sophisticate t-shirt at social gatherings and let the women approach you. Wear it around the office and get that big promotion instead of Ted. That's right. Screw Ted. Ted sucks. That's HoosierSophisticate.com. Hey, Patty Moe from Let's Get Comfortable. Well, hello, Jimmy B. Also from Let's Get Comfortable. Remember when you were a kid and you didn't have a lot of friends? What are you talking about? I actually had a lot of Well, now you always will have a friend, Pat. Just search for WGNU 920 AM and 106.9 FM on Facebook. I'm still kind of hung up on the part where you said I didn't have any friends. So if you're socially awkward or just completely unlikable, it doesn't matter. WGNU will always be your friend. Tell them, Patty Moe. Um... Apparently, WGNU will always be your friend. That's right. Search for WGNU 920 AM and 106.9 FM on Facebook and give them a like, and we'll all be happier and more popular. Let's watch and see what makes people like one person and not another. Imagine. Imagine being denied an apartment because of your religion or your race or because you have children or a disability. It's so wrong. Yes, but who has the power to stop this? You do. Each of us has the power. The law is on your side. It's illegal for landlords to discriminate because of race, color, religion, sex, national origin, disability, or familial status. If you suspect that you have experienced housing discrimination, file a complaint with HUD immediately so we can investigate it. Fair housing is your right. Use it. To learn more, visit HUD.gov slash fair housing. That's HUD.gov slash fair housing. Or call 1-800-669-9777. 1-800-669-9777. A public service message from HUD in partnership with the National Fair Housing Alliance. Sensory sensitivity, repetitious behavior, lack of eye contact. You can see signs of autism in children as young as 18 months. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Yale Hollander. You know me from all the times I butt into everyone else's shows. Well, now it's finally time to get my own. Join me every Wednesday night from 6 to 7 for the Wind Down with Yale Hollander. We'll have some laughs, talk to some interesting people, think about what we're eating, drinking, wearing, and doing over the weekend, because on the Wind Down, Wednesdays are the new Thursdays. Join me on the Wind Down every Wednesday on WGNU 920 AM and your favorite streaming and podcast platforms. Keeping you up to date with market news and tips while remaining generally unprofessional. It's the Big Biz Show with Russ and Sully. There's been so much cheap money running around for the last eight years. We had a new Fed, Fed chair get sworn in a couple of days ago. and then suddenly Who's our the new market, Fed chair? Janet Yellen gone? Janet Yellen. Oh, and she was man. such a looker too, Russ. I love her. That- That's the Big Biz Show, part of the Biz Talk Network. For more information, visit WGNU920AM.com. You know, honey, I think I deserve some kind of reward. Here, have a pickle. Thanks. After all, 
I did find us the perfect house. Have another pickle. Thank you. But remember, then I found out how much our house was going to cost. Mm, yeah, but then I found us the perfect mortgage. Got any more of these? Sure. Help yourself. Mm. But then I found out our perfect house had radon. Ugh. The stuff you can't see, smell, or taste. And it's radioactive. And it's the second leading cause of lung cancer. <sighs> Some dream house. Yeah. I need two pickles. Mm, true. But then I found a phone number to call 1-800-SOS-RADON, where you can get all the information you need to test and fix a home with a radon problem. You did. Yeah. And then I found out we were going to have a baby. So, you know, your study, it'd be a perfect room for my mother. Right. Now I need a phone number to fix a home with a mother-in-law problem. Hey. I'm in a pickle. Did you say baby? Do we have any ice cream? Protect your family from radon. Make your home safer. Call 1-800-SOS-RADON. 1-800-SOS-RADON. WGNU is streaming live on WGNU920AM.com. Click on Listen Live to satisfy your audible needs or watch live to see all those faces for radio in action. You can also listen to past shows, featured interviews, and download the free WGNU phone app. You can take us everywhere you go. WGNU920AM.com. Point, click, and listen live. In Africa, five-year-old Cheru has no choice. She and millions like her must walk miles every day for dirty water. But together, we can end their walk by providing clean water close by. Instead of spending hours walking to get water that makes them sick, girls can be in a classroom that expands their minds, and moms will gain back time to care for their families. Sons and daughters can grow up strong, finally free of sicknesses caused by dirty water. At World Vision, care about clean water runs deep. Deep enough to reach one new person with clean water every 10 seconds. Because every child, every person, everywhere deserves clean water and a chance to rise to their full potential. It's true. When you just add water, you change a life. Learn more at worldvision.org. WGNU is streaming live on WGNU920AM.com. Click on Listen Live to satisfy your audible needs or watch live to see all those faces for radio in action. You can also listen to past shows, featured interviews, and download the free WGNU phone app. You can take us everywhere you go. WGNU920AM.com. Point, click, and listen live. The Dave Ramsey Show, where common sense meets dollars and cents. If you're out of debt and you don't have any payments, you know what you got? Money. See, that's I, that's why I get the big bucks right there, deep stuff like that. It's common sense. Your most powerful wealth-building tool is your income. And when you don't give it all to some stupid car company for a car payment or a student loan that's been around so long you think it's a pet or a master card payment, wow, then you got money. The Dave Ramsey Show, weekdays at 1 p.m. right here on WGNU. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. 
Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. I find that commercial a tad insulting to my intelligence. You know the one? Here's your brain. I've seen a lot of things on drugs, but I have never, ever, ever looked at an egg and thought it was a brain, not once. I have seen UFOs split the sky like a sheet, but I have never looked at an egg and thought it was a brain, not once. I have had seven balls of light come off of a UFO, lead me onto their ship, explain to me telepathically that we are all one and there's no such thing as death. But I've never looked at an egg and thought it was brain. Hoosier Sophisticate, WGNU, 920 AM, streaming live at WGNU920AM.com. Guys, Seth Ferrante right here in studio. That was Pretty wow. gripping, man. Yeah, that this was dude's a great awesome. Interview, yeah, yeah. Got to have him back. I like. I, I don't want to, you know, get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think we're really putting something together here. Uh, no, um, I know our but, guests. Are all, listen, as long as we're, what we're learning is, as long as we lean on these amazing guests, you thing. and I can keep our stupid I love, holes shut. I love guys like that because they are stewards for the uh, legalization we have now. Really, the old drug dealers from nineties. 2000s, the guys keeping the dream alive. Fascinating story. <laughs> I love those guys. So All right, big so we, fan. we do a little thing with uh, some of our guests. We've done it three times now. It's called the Hot Seat. Those who've been listening are familiar. And uh, we're going to go ahead and give away the hot, the first uh, Hot Seat Award for the month of May. This uh, Last month, we had uh, U.S. Senate candidate Austin Peterson. We had sports writer for the Post-Dispatch and author of the Big 50 St. Louis Cardinals, our good personal friend, Ben Hockman. And, of course, from New Approach, Missouri, uh, John Payne. Uh, so what were some memorable uh, answers, do you think? Uh, Craig, you had a few earlier before the show. Yeah, I thought a couple of uh, memorable answers were, uh, let's see, I liked uh, I like Hoxie's go-to album. I think it was The Chronic. Uh, Dr. Dre. Best go-to album so far. That was a solid album. We had Sublime. Austin had Sublime. Austin did have 40 Ounce to Freedom. And he sang some for us. And he did do that. In one of the mini interviews. I think a second interview, he sang a little bit of that. So... I'm gonna, you know, if if we're ranking those down, I believe uh, John Payne's was Cat Stevens. I know that Steve is the Cat Stevens uh, uh, expert around here. Yusuf El Islam. Ooh, baby, baby, so but it was a really good choice. But I think out of those three, I would definitely have to uh, give Austin the best choice of uh, album of the three. Uh, Austin's total answers. I was a little upset when he, he said wanted to that, punch uh, Bernie. No, that didn't make me upset. Actually, at all. that I thought that should maybe put him. He, he may have the best punchable person yeah. because yeah. everybody else picked extreme yeah. fascist Hit, and communist. Well, Hitler, I know he Bernie. picked an extreme communist. Too, so whatever. No. <laughs> Nothing says I'm broke like putting a Bernie sticker on the back of your camera. That's a little <laughs> I got thing I thought of a while camera. back. No, uh, so that was a pretty funny answer. Um, I don't know what else was in there. Uh, who was your favorite animal? Choice, I believe uh, John Payne was uh, an orca. This was for that the was uh, the Royal Rumble, right? Yeah, the yeah. animal Royal Rumble. Yeah, uh, I think uh, Payne was an orca. I believe Austin was the libertarian porcupine. I like mm-hmm. that, which was cool. And then uh, what did Hoxie pick? Oh, uh, Hoxie, uh, hippo. hippopotamus. Which 
is really strong out the gate. I, I think of player. those three, I'm, I'm choosing the hippo because the hippo is not only a land animal, but it's water pretty dangerous too. in the water, too. Yes, and I'd like to think that it would probably give an orca a run for its money if the water, water was shallow there. enough. It's never going to give an orca a run for its money if it's a totally uh, in water. Listen, if it's just a patch never. of water. If, it patch, if it's just a patch right. and, the, and the hippo can kind of okay. bring it close to the okay. edge, the hippo is going to destroy that thing. I didn't like how Austin Peterson, he's a libertarian, he said pineapple on pizza should be a crime. If you're against it, that's one thing. Okay. To call it a crime, I thought... Seth changed his vote that day. Yeah, he did. He wasn't registered as a Democrat. He oh. did? <laughs> it was hard. I cried on the drive home. I, I am in agreement with Austin. I think pineapple on pizza is trash. But hey, if you like it, you know. Hey, I'm gonna there, there's the libertarian answer. I'm going to bust in yeah. real quick. Uh, this is Scott. I am totally listening. I love how he's... This is a text. He said, I am Scott. I am totally listening. Is that the 217? 287-309. Don't read people's numbers. Well, he actually just, read it. In, he actually read yeah, it backwards. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. He actually this, read that backwards. This is Scott. I'm totally listening. I, th- I did I, mushrooms for the first time since we were kids on the day I filed for divorce, and it was one uh, of the Scott, I know. helpful experiences <laughs> I had. This guy's my hero. <laughs> I'll kidding, introduce honey. him sometime, Scott. If they, I'm pretty sure that's the Scott I know. Uh, probably so. They're, they're from a different area. Real, okay, real awesome. Corey G. I think cannabis can elevate all educational and or economic levels to see things on a truthful and clear level. Enjoying the show tonight. Shout out to the ride or dies, friends, lovers. Let's blur, Let's the, blur line. the line. Think, Think about, about it. it. Hashtag. All right. So here's Real how the, Love you. Here's how the scoring is going to work. I'm going to give you the producer score. You guys can agree or you can provide a retort or a rebuttal, if you will. So uh, first of all, let's go with um, let's go with Hawkman's uh, score. Three and three quarter stars. All right, three and three quarter stars for Hawking. What do you guys think? Is that Star Search? Yes. <laughs> Ed McMahon. Uh, is this on a five star scale? Yes. And I think that's a fair answer. Three and three quarters? Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair he answer. He was my first, okay? Your I think it's low. My everything. I think it's low. I think, think it's, it's low. Oh, three and three quarters? I'm sorry. So you said three okay. and a quarter. No, that's, that's it. All that's right. It. Well, yeah, yeah I think that's about. a fair score because, you know. Um, he said he, out of all the time periods, he, he went he back to 85 with Dankinger. That one, yeah, that was a homer. He lost me on that. All right. U.S. Senate candidate Austin Peterson. Wait for it. Three and a half stars. Three and a half. Uh, I think he gets higher. I think you, he gets you three, go higher. Yeah, I would I maybe. Do. I would maybe sublime. say that he, the sublime question was strong. Mine. The porcupine question was strong. Uh, the Bernie Sanders was great. We well, had we to, had to, eat, we had to it beat out it out of him. And he uh, wants to punch Bernie he, Sanders. He, really, he, want, he wanted yeah. to choose pacifism. He wanted to yeah, say that right away. But oh, yeah, uh, obviously, but he did do the political thing. Uh, I, I think know, four. Ooh, I think four might I be think steep. Four. I think four might be steep. I'm going to at least tie him with Hoxie, though. I'm going to say three and three quarter. On. Three and three quarter stars for uh, Austin Peterson. All right. Take my job. Guys, from New Approach, Missouri, our good friend, John Payne. Wait. Four stars. Oh! Yeah. oh that's, that's, wow. that's it. So far, uh, hard to argue with. I think John Payne, I, I mean, all three we got, of them we got are nine listening. questions. Seven or eight of them. All were. three of those people are listening right I now. I thought the guy was. I thought the guy was answering my answers. He had the stained answer. I, know. I mean, he, I, I actually. It was funny because we did once a day on our show, and Shane Moss's answer was my favorite album, my go-to I album. Know, don't just tease him with it. Uh, you know, well, 
They've already heard it if they're listening to this part. Um, but uh, if you oh, didn't yeah, listen forget. to it, you're going to come back and listen. Uh, Shane gave works. some pretty great answers, but I thought that John would be in the on the hook for a uh, for a Floyd. Album. I forgot how the radio so, works for a second. I think those are about the right order. I would probably, um, you know, for the sake of participation participation trophies, I would uh, maybe right. tie Austin with uh, Hoxie. I think. All right. I agree with that. But overall, it doesn't matter. Overall, John, John Payne, Payne is yeah. the winner of May. All right. Wow, John you, Payne, big day for him. What are you guys going to be watching? Oh. We, oh. Got a, we got a few minutes left. You want to do a cappella? We like movies. So do you. We like internet. So do we. Netflix picks of the week. Except streaming. streaming. It's streaming picks of the week. Except it might be on Netflix. Streaming picks of the week. We like the internet, too. Hey, listen. That was good. Hey, listen. Uh, my my pick this week ties in so great with our last guest. Uh, I'm going to try and get through this before I die of heat stroke. <laughs> in this, in oh, this, it hurts. It's really warm in here. Um, I, watched a, I watched a Netflix documentary. Steve, I am going to be aggressive. And I, I have a really hard time saying it's the best one I've ever seen. But it is top two or three wow. I have ever seen. This documentary blew my doors off. He doesn't say that often, folks. It blew my doors off. I mean, just smoked me. It's on Netflix. Mm. It's called The Fear of 13. And it is an incredible story. That movie about Jim Carrey where he has the note. No, I think it's the Room 23. Yeah, no, yeah. The Fear of 13 is a documentary. It's about a guy that's been on death row for, like, in Pennsylvania for, like, um, 21 years, I want to say. Long time. Solitary confinement. The thing opens up with them basically talking about how this lieutenant that runs death row said, if I hear a noise out of any inmate on this row, I will bash their skulls in. Sweet. Get it over with, bro. And they did. These guys put beatings on all of these guys routinely. No noise. He said he lives, this guy says he lived the first two years of his life in silence. Total silence. And they would let him out to exercise in like these cages. How do we do that to people? In these cages, these exercise cages, except you know what they would do? They would take guys they knew had beef, most usually like a white guy and a black guy or a Mexican and a black guy or a Mexican and a white guy or, you know, whatever the combination. They'd, sure put, them, they'd put them both in the cage at the same time and they would call it gladiatoring. We're living in a society. We're supposed to act in a civilized way. And we're not. And we're not. <laughs> this story was gripping. And you're like, huh, you know, you're. And this guy's probably one of the best storytellers I've ever seen. Wow. The actual guy himself is is doing it. And the and you know uh, the 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 quick synopsis is basically he's been on death row so long, the appeals he can't get any luck with these appeals, and he has decided that he is going to write a judge. And say, drop all the appeals and just carry out the execution already. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. Yeah. Exactly where he was at. I'm not going to tell you anymore, but I will tell you this. I am intrigued. By the time this movie was over, I was so choked up. And I'm not sure if it was sad or... I, I don't. I don't even. I can't explain the emotion that this movie pulled out of me. And the whole time, I'm like, I don't feel sorry for this monster who's on death row for murder in the first degree and rape. Like, there's no way you're, dude. Watch the Fear of Thirteen on Netflix. It is the freaking best documentary I have watched since Orange Sunshine. No doubt about that. And you I know love how I love that. about Orange Sunshine. Totally different vein, 
But my goodness. Man, we got is, two minutes. We got to work quick. What did you watch this I week? watched uh, part of the Steve Martin and Martin Short deal. Oh, so was, if you just wanted an easy laugh, I just wanted an easy laugh. Those guys are beautiful I together. Love just Short. beautiful. They'll, they, they, their way they work off each other is so good. If you just want an easy laugh, go ahead and put, pop that in. That's what I was uh, I was going to watch that. And I was so reading. Uh, I was on a Terrence McKenna uh, group on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And this guy was asking for some documentaries. And I told her, oh, hey, you know, go check out Dirty Pictures uh, and all this. And that guy, this guy said, watch the, the, the Fear of 13. I'm going to watch that. Check it out. It blew me away. Listen, guys, we got just a little bit of time left. We want to thank our sponsors, the Missouri Medical Cannabis Company, Lifetime Roofing, and James Carlton State Farm. Yep, support them. And we would love for you guys to go out there and at least give them a shot at your business. If you have CBD questions, seek out Medical Cannabis Company on Facebook. If you have roofing needs, it's been storming a lot here lately. You need somebody just come take a look. They'll come look at it for free, and they're going to give you an honest assessment. And if you want the most stand-up insurance agent in the game, Check out the James Carlton State Farm Agency, carltoninsurance.net, Lifetime STL. Check out Missouri Medical Cannabis on Facebook. Thank you so much for making this thing happen. We had some great guests today, and we loved having you along. Steve, I love you, buddy. Seth, I love you, buddy. Be well, Hoosiers. Surely you're